because life can be so challenging, right? I mean, I mean, yeah, life can be kind of tough from time to time, can it? So challenging. It's so easy to get overwhelmed by our circumstances that we're walking through that we lose sight of God. That's why we routinely come together and to have communion, um, you know, so that we, we can remember, remember what really matters in this lifetime, what tr really, truly matters. And this psalm goes on to encourage us to do exactly that, to remember him. And in verse 5, Psalm 105, verse 5, remember the wonders that he has done. Remember his miracles. Remember the judgments that he pronounced. You, his servants, the descendants of Abraham, his chosen ones, the children of Jacob. He is the Lord our God, and his judgments are in all of the earth. And of course, this psalm, I, I firmly believe, is not just written to the descendants of Jacob, to the nation of Israel, the Jewish people themselves, but also to us who are, uh, you know, accepted by faith. But to be honest, when I read these verses, I kind of struggled with it at first, because I am all about... Remembering it all, all of the miracles, all the wonders of God, all the wonderful things that he has done, right? But I am not one that likes to remember the judgments of God. Yet God's word tells me to do that, to remember the judgments that he has pronounced. In fact, it says that his judgments are in all the earth. It's not really something that I prefer to think about, not something I'm very fond of. I mean, who wants to be told to remember, you know, the, the Korah and the, the other 250 leaders? That when the leaders of Israel rose up against Moses and Aaron and said, you're no better than us. You got sin in your life. Well, we, we experienced the same God that you experienced. And then the earth swallowed them up. And fire came and destroyed the rest. Them and their families and everything. I don't want to remember that kind of judgment. Right? Um, or let's go New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, right? They sold a piece of property and they came before the church and they, they man, they, they were rejoicing all the way down the aisle to the, the offering plate and they, they whipped in that giant check of the property that they had sold. And when they were asked, you gave everything? They're like, yes, we did. We gave it all to Jesus. Meanwhile, they actually kept some back for themselves. There was nothing wrong with keeping some back for themselves. There was nothing wrong in doing that at all. What was wrong was they lied to the Holy Spirit. They lied about it. Whew. We're called to be a people who worship in spirit and in truth. And I'm telling you, so often when I'm singing these songs up here, like it's an ouch and a check in my spirit when I say some of those lines. Do I really do that? Am I really being honest, you know? And in fact, because they lied to the Holy Spirit, they both died instantly. New Testament, new covenant. That was the judgment of God. It's interesting how many times salvation for God's people actually meant death and curses to others. I mean, we think about this reality. Um, the salvation of the Israelites through the Red Sea, the crossing on dry land through the Red Sea, that same miracle that saved them was the same judgment as God let the waters come back in and destroyed the Egyptian chariots and army. What this reminds me of, though, as I was kind of praying about it, because I'm like, 
why do you want us to remember the judgments? Why do you want us to remember that side of who you are? It reminds us not to take lightly of our salvation under this new covenant of God through simple faith in what Jesus did that we're saved, we're forgiven. We're saved by God's grace through our faith. And since we're saved by faith, we're also called to live by faith, right? To live in faith in him and in a healthy fear of the Lord. We've been forgiven. We've been set free from the power of sin. Now we get to choose. We get to choose whether to sin or not because the power of it has been broken. The, the foothold, the stronghold that the enemy had in our life before, it has been broken now that we are saved. So now when we sin, it's a choice. It's a choice to either do what God said not to do or not to do what God said to do. Either way, you're missing the mark. You're missing the point. If we've been set free from it, why would we continue in it? It's not that we are to be afraid of God necessarily, but that we live rightly in fear of the judgment of wrongdoing. In fact, under the new covenant, what we experience really isn't the judgment of God, but rather the discipline of God. If we were to experience the judgment of God, I mean, I wouldn't be standing here today. I'd be a, a crispy, you know, I'd be, we visited Long John's not long ago, and I remember the crispies, you know, that would pretty much be me, you know, the leftover little crisp in the pit of fire, you know. Whew. <laughs> yeah. That's right. If we really got what we deserved, we deserve hell. I mean, let's be honest with each other, you know. God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. That's what the Word of God teaches us. He took on the curse so that I can be blessed. He took on the death so that I can live. So we don't receive the judgments of God, but we do get disciplined. We are given the freedom of choice, but not the freedom of the consequences for those choices, right? Paul said, I'm free to do anything I want, but not everything is beneficial. I think Maurice spoke about that not long ago, right? You know, I'm free to do whatever I want, but I'm not, you know, not everything that I choose to do is beneficial, If you had a good father or a good mother growing up, then you can kind of understand this reality. Your father loved you, and you weren't really afraid of him, but when you done screwed up, and he's coming home, you feared his discipline, right? When he knew he's coming, my mom warned me, just wait till your father gets home, you know? Just wait till dad gets home, right? I, that was my warning, and I knew exactly what she meant. It was not going to be pretty. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4 through 11 says this. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted the point of shedding your blood, right? Has anybody ever done that? I haven't been thrown up on a cross and shed my blood in, in my lifetime. I haven't, to be honest, I, I've more, I haven't struggled, you know, not to sin as much as I should have. I really should have put up more of a struggle, more of a fight, right? I found myself more often than not putting myself in the place of temptation, you know? Why do we, so foolish, because on verse 5, uh, Paul says, and he says, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? This is a word of encouragement. It addresses you as a father, him as a father, and addresses us as his children. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the ones that he loves, and he chastens everyone that he accepts as his son. And this is also to you daughters, by the way. We're getting there in a verse. Endure hardship is discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? In fact, if you're not disciplined, and everyone goes under, undergoes discipline, 
You're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. Right? They weren't perfect in their discipline, but they did what they felt was right. They raised us up the best that they could. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. It's painful. But later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Those who have been trained by it. Discipline is not the same as punishment. These are two radically different things. Discipline, it's kind of like the, the, the guide rails and the rumble strips on the side of the road. They're there to keep us on the right path. True loving discipline inflicts a little bit of pain so that we don't endure the large pain, right? You get a couple of dents and scrapes and your heart's beating and you're scared when you're running the guardrails, right, Nate? <laughs> but that was way better than hitting the tree and getting thrown out of the car, right? Apologizing dad for a couple of dents and scrapes is nothing because you're still here to apologize for it, you know? That's what loving discipline is. It's like those rumble strips and guide rails. It's a little bit of pain, a little bit of discomfort. It's not pleasant at the time. There are times when my kids were toddlers, I seriously got tired of spanking them. I'm like, <sighs> like, do I have to do this again, you know? Anybody ever been there as parents? I don't know. Tired of disciplining your kids. It's like, it's your turn. I'm done with this, <laughs> you know? But because we stuck in there, I don't regret it now that they're teenagers because I don't have to deal with a lot of things that their, their, you know, parent, their friends' parents have to deal with. Loving discipline keeps us on the right path. It intentionally inflicts a little bit of pain to keep them from destruction, to keep you from destruction. Discipline is painful, but painful in the right way and to the right degree to steer us away from danger and to make us not want to go back to it again. It's a tool used to build us up, to encourage us and to fear wrongdoing. Punishment, it's more like a, a spike strip in front of one of those big solid walls that they use here in crash tests. Punishment is to stop us and to inflict as much pain and as much harm as quickly as possible. It's you're out of line and you're going to pay the price. It's a tool that is used to tear us down and to cause us to fear the one inflicting it. Not to fear wrongdoing, but to fear the one who inflicts it. God disciplines. He does not punish. He does not punish. Now that we've kind of covered that topic a little bit, we kind of understand the difference. We're going on to the good stuff that causes us to want to obey, to want to be on the right path, to want to make good choices always. And that's in verse 8. God remembers his covenant forever. For those of you who don't know what a covenant is, um, you know, we're going to be having a wedding here this coming Saturday, of a, a, the reminder of a covenant. It's not, not a contract where, you know, I give you this and you get that. And, you know, if this happens or if that happens, then we're out of here. You know, it doesn't have a bunch of fine print. A covenant is, I'm all in. 
There's no way out. All in. God made a covenant with us. And it stands true. And it cannot be changed. It is timeless. By his blood that was shed on the cross. That's the covenant he made with us. He paid the price. Through simple faith we receive it. But he remembers this covenant forever. The promises that he made, God remembers for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac, he confirmed it to Jacob as a decree. To Israel as an everlasting covenant forever and ever and ever. And this covenant was very simple. His promises are very simple. In verse 11 it says, To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. Very simple promise. And then read through the book of Exodus. Very simple promise. Why do we make it so hard? If God promised it, just receive it. Just obey him. You do your part, he'll do his part. He's faithful, he's trustworthy. God is a promise keeper. He has good things in store for us. Even his discipline is just to keep us on track so we don't miss out on everything he has for us. He doesn't want us to miss out on a single thing. The future that God has prepared for us, it's also not just for us. God is doing something in your life for generations to come. That's the really cool thing, the blessing of parenting, you know. You're not just doing this for you and for your benefit. You're training up your children because you're training up the generations to come. You are investing in the future. You're making a much bigger world impact than you realize. But part of the process of receiving his promises is that he prepares us for it. I love this in verse 12. He says, it says that while they were but few in number, this promise to, to Jacob, to, to later renamed to Israel, this promise to become an entire a nation, that the entire world would be blessed through, that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. The nation of Israel existed as one family, a very small people on the face of the earth with a very big promise. So don't ever despise small beginnings and small numbers. Not when you're serving a big God with big promises. There's nothing too hard for him, right? It says in verse 12, while they were yet few in number, few indeed, and they were strangers in it. They wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom into another. And yet he allowed no one to oppress them. For their sake, he rebuked kings. Woo. God rebuked kings so that you would not be oppressed, so that you would not be taken advantage of. In fact, it says in verse 15, this is the simple word of the Lord. Do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. It's so amazing to think about. God protects his promise. He protects his promise. It is yes and amen. He will fulfill it. Because of God's future plans, he protected this family as they traveled, even rebuking kings so they wouldn't harm or oppress them. It was all about God and his plans because they certainly weren't the perfect family, were they? They were a pretty messed up family. I mean, you think your childhood was bad. Like, it was pretty bad. You remember, remember Joseph? You know, he, got, he was going to get killed. And then they're like, oh, we can, we can cash this dude in and make some money. And they sold him off as a slave, you know. Remember how Joseph's brothers mistreated him? The tribes of Israel. Literally the tribes of Israel and how they treated, you know, Benjamin and Joseph. 
we read on a bit in this psalm, a little bit of a history lesson of how things got pretty rough for him. In verse 16, this psalm continues recalling it. It says, he called down a famine in the land and destroyed all of their supplies of food. God did this. He, he swallowed up everything. Nothing was left. And then he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold into slave. You see, we think things are bad and awful, and God is cursing us. And Jesus, what did I do wrong? And how am I in sin? And how, why, what am I doing wrong? Why am I getting punished? Why am I getting disciplined? Why am I, why, 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 why? And God was like, he had a big plan in this. There was a reason he dried up everything. There was a reason that he sent Joseph into slavery. There was a reason for it all. And it was to move them further into their promises. Because what do we do as human beings? We get comfortable in a place and we stay there. We camp out there. We, we set up a tent and this is where we're calling home. And God's like, no, 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 no. I've got better things for you. So if you're relying on the grace of yesterday and the hopes and promises of yesterday, don't be surprised if those shrivel up and die because there's a new grace this morning. The, the, the word of God says that his grace, his mercies, his love, it is new every day. Just like the manna in, in the desert, right? It's brand new. It's fresh every day. Don't hang on to what you had yesterday because it'll be moldy today. What blessed you yesterday will harm you today because that's not where you're supposed to be. Life as a Christian is keeping in step with the Spirit, walking by faith, not by reasoning and logic. And, oh, Lord, is that hard for me. <laughs> but he's good. He is faithful. So, God had a plan. He sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons. To what he told, what he foretold came to pass. Till the word of the Lord proved him true. Because if you remember, he had a dream way back in the day, right? The Lord gave him two dreams. He, he wasn't loved for those dreams, but that's all right. They came to pass anyways. In verse 20, the king sent and released him. That king sent and released him, Pharaoh. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him master of his household, ruler over everything he possessed, to instruct his princes as he pleased, to teach the elders wisdom. So you see, suffering and lack and discouragement and oppression, that is not God's destiny for us. It was not God's destiny for Joseph to be shackled and bruised and, and thrown in prison. That wasn't his destiny, but God allowed it to happen for a purpose. And the sooner that we ask God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? What are you trying to do here? The sooner he might reveal that, we can receive it and then move on from it, right? God can work all things together for good. He can take what he said, and I think it's Genesis 50. He took what others intended for harm, what others intended for evil, and he turned it for good. Mm. Even when people mistreat you, even when people wrong you, sometimes God permits it for a purpose. So don't get bitter and enraged and furious with this wrongdoing. And God, this ain't fair. Just be a God, I thank you because you're going to work this together for good somehow. <laughs> sure doesn't feel good. Sure doesn't look good. I'm a little bit irritated and bitter right now. But I'm going to hand it over to you. <laughs> this is yours. You use it for good and glory. 
And boy, did he do that in Joseph's life. It's a great example of it. And this went on for decades. This is not one thing. He had a couple prophetic dreams that God gave him as a teen. Then things got really bad. Then things went from bad to worse. Then they got really awesome, right? Potiphar's household, right? Then they got way bad, rock bottom, before he was eventually promoted to second in command over the greatest nation of the earth, Egypt. God's dream came to pass, but it didn't happen the way Joseph would choose for it to happen, did it? The key here is what God was doing through the bad stuff that led to the good stuff. God had a purpose for the bad stuff before he entered into the good stuff, into the promise. And in verse 19, verse 19 is where decades of hardship and wrongdoing and mistreatment took place. If you're here this morning, maybe that's where God has you too, where life's not fair. Maybe you got let go from a job and you didn't do anything wrong or you know, whatever the case might be. People are believing lies about you, right? There's slander out there. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. People just believe what they want to believe about you. That is a place that either makes us or breaks us. Here in verse 19. This is where God does the most work. The most work that God does is not when he fulfills his promise. That's easy for God. The difficult part is the difficult person, me, that he has to prepare for the promise. <laughs> I'm always the thing that gets in the way of God, right? Because <laughs> he wants his promise to be a blessing and not a curse. And that means he has to prepare us to receive it. It's a place where we have little choice but to trust in God as he shapes and forms and matures our character. You see, God cares just as much about the fruits of the Spirit as he does the gifts of the Spirit. He cares just as much about who you are. In fact, he says all the gifts of the Spirit are, are just clanging symbols if they're not done with a character of love. He cares about your character. He cares more about who you are than what you do. Many on the end is going to say, Lord, Lord, I did this in your name, that in your name, and he's going to be like, I didn't know you. He cares about who you are as a person more than anything else. And he values it so much that he won't let you walk in this life being lesser than what he created you to be. He loves you too much. Now, it doesn't feel loving when he's disciplining you and shaping you and forming you because it's not comfortable, but it is the greatest act of love that happens in verse 19. Listen to the different translations of, of what this declares. In the New King James Version, like, like into the King James, it says, until the time... That his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Anybody have a prophetic word or a promise from the scriptures that really puts you to the test? Like Ezekiel said, you get a new heart. And man, is he getting put to the test right now? Because it ain't looking like there's a new heart. It's looking like this heart is fading away. And, uh, but we know what God's word says. The word tested him. The, the, translate, the, the Passion Translation, God's promise to Joseph purged his character. Until it was time for his dreams to come true. There's a time and a season for everything. And I love this about our God. He's eternal. He wants it to happen, you know, in this year. But we spend 40 years in the desert, not entering in, and then it finally happens. But his promise is still true. It is still yes and amen. It's still going to happen. But man, if we could just in life and just say yes to the Lord back here. If we could just listen to Joshua and Caleb and be like, you know what? Yeah, this land's everything God said it was. There's some pretty big dudes in there, but our God's bigger. 
If the people just would have said that, when they were standing, literally, they were right here. They were on the threshold of the promises, and they said, nope, that's too big of a sacrifice, too much of a risk, I'm not willing to do it. So back to the desert they wandered until they all died. <laughs> I mean, literally, that's what happened. But Joshua and Caleb, their lives were spared. Because way back when, they said, yes, Lord, we can do it. Let's do it. In fact, Caleb, oh, I love Caleb. He's like, that promise was made, what was it, 40 years before that? He was 80 years old. And he's like, I'm still just as ready to go into battle as I was in my 40s. Let's do this, right? So I don't care if you're walking in here in Walker. It's not too late. We're going to do this. You will be warriors in the kingdom. You are going to see the promises here in this place, here in your family's lives, in your friends' lives, in your community. We will see the prophetic promises come to pass, right? Mm, it's never too late for our God. Ah, but this word, New Living Translation, until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. The Amplified Version. No offense, Marie, but I call it the Marie Version because I just, she's very lengthy in her descriptions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I love it. I love it. Until the time came that his word of prophecy regarding his brothers came true. The word of the Lord tested and refined him. Mm. You see, God is not just a promise giver. He is a preparer of promises. He wants his promise to be a blessing and not a curse. I didn't give my son, you know, the 30-06 when he was five years old. You know, he needed to develop and mature and grow a little bit, right? It would have been a, it would have brought death, it would have brought destruction, it would not have been good. But then once he's old enough and mature enough and able to handle that thing, and that's the promises of God. So let him do his work in your life in verse 19, because what he's trying to do is to grow and mature your character. He wants to do something in you, so then he can do something through you. Hmm. So good. Isn't he so good? He's so good. And he uses discipline to do it. It's not comfortable. It's not pleasing. None of us want to go through it, but he uses it. it it's intentional. Think about this. You can't grow your muscles unless you add some resistance. Make it too hard. Why do you make... You look at people in the gym and it's like, you're on that treadmill. What are you running for, fool? Like, where are you trying to get to? I mean, you're going nowhere. Why do they do it? To discipline themselves, to train themselves up, right? They intentionally add resistance and reps and whatever to grow and to mature. And it's no different in your spiritual life. It's no different in your spiritual life as it is. If God doesn't give you something that's too hard for you to handle, why would you ever need to trust him? If you had the resources you need to always make ends meet, then why would you ever need God? Why would you ever have to walk in faith? But in this lifetime, we exercise our spiritual life by being put in uncomfortable places where we end, well beyond where we end. I can't do this, but God can through you. Mm, it's an awesome place to be, awesome place to be. That is where his promises are fulfilled. And I love what God does. When we step out into the unknown beyond ourselves, we still never step outside of him. I'm going to skip all the way down to verse 39 to end here. It says that he spread out a cloud as a covering and a fire to give light at night. You know, when, when I read about this account in Exodus, 
and I, I, you know, I see that pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. I never pictured it the way that the psalmist pictured it. They pictured that cloud as a covering, protecting them, sheltering them, providing for them. And it didn't matter where they were at in the desert, right? I mean, it goes on to talk about this, I believe. Um, maybe not. Yes, yes, it does. They asked, and he brought them quail. There's more to that story than the psalmist remembers. He remembers the good part. God's people asked, and he sent it. I mean, like, miles in diameter and feet deep. Like, you want quail? Oh, let me give you some quail. We're not going to talk about what happened when the meat was still between their teeth, right? He fed them. Here's the good thing. He fed them with the bread of heaven, manna, sweet, sweet manna. I'm a diabetic, and I love me my honey, and so it's, it's a real paradox, you know. My pump doesn't like me, but I love the sweet taste of honey. And that's what that manna was like, these wafers, you know, those strip waffles. Uh, I, I love those things. And I imagine that's what manna was like, you know, those thin, crispy wafers with the sweetness. And, um, anyways, I'm get, getting hungry. What time is it? Yeah, we're getting close here. All right. It says that he opened a rock and water gushed out of it. It flowed like a river in the desert place. That sheltering, that cloud covering, that fire covering. It didn't matter what was impossible because God was there. He was able to provide everything they needed wherever they were at. And he did it in a miraculous way. Not by natural means, but by supernatural means. I mean, you can go to any desert right now, crack open a rock, and you're probably going to find a drier rock inside. But when God said... To go and not to strike it, but anyways, that's a whole other story too. I love that God graces us in our sin. He poured forth water like a river in the desert. doesn't matter where you're at. God is able. God is able. Trust in him. Lean into him, right? He is able. And we go on here into verse 42. Why did he do all those things? Why did he bring quail and manna and water from a rock in the desert? Because he remembered his holy promise that he gave to his servant, Abraham. I don't know if you know your biblical history. Abraham was not there with Moses in Exodus. But the reason he did all those miracles is because of a promise he made generations ago. God had not given up on his promise. And this was generations in the making before the Joshua generation rose up and went into it generational there are promises that god has given you prophetically that you want to taste and see here and now just like david he had in his heart he wanted to build the temple and god said no 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 no. you're going to prepare it your son is going to build it that's what some of y'all are doing right now the promises are so close you can taste them but sometimes those promises are getting passed on to your children and your children's children and children's children. You are going to be a blessing for thousand generations to come, which means probably till Jesus returns, right? I don't think this thing's going to be around for another thousand generations. So his promises are yes and amen for your family line. And not just your natural family, also your spiritual family, those who you are discipling. And so that's why he did it. It said he brought his people out with rejoicing. His chosen ones, he brought them out with shouts of joy. He gave them the lands of the nations. It fell to them 
what others had toiled for. Why? Because it's a promise. We are sons and daughters. We are heirs of our salvation. You don't have to work to receive an inheritance. You receive an inheritance because you're a child. Right? Ask Rob about all the things he's inheriting from Glenda. I'm sure he's thrilled about some of those things. <laughs> Sorry. But there's some good, good things that we leave to our children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren as an inheritance. And it says that they might. This is the whole Again, the point of a promise is not the promise itself. He gave them what others had toiled for, what others had been promised. He gave it to them in verse, verse 45, so that they might keep his precepts and observe his laws. So that they could see that obedience brings blessing. Obedience brings life. Not just for them, but for generations. It's a good thing. To walk in faith and to obey the Lord. He has good things in store for us when we do. And the psalm ends with praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Mm, is he good? He is so good. And so I don't know about you all, but I don't want to be that first people that Sharon talked about that stay in darkness even when revival's breaking out everywhere. I don't want to be a people that were like the Moses generation that... They lived their lives out grumbling and complaining, and they never got to enter in. They wish they'd stayed in Egypt in bondage. We want to be like the Joshua's and Caleb's, right? We want to be the ones to say, you know what? It's time. We are entering into the promises of God, in the promised land. We want to be a disciplined people who allow God to build our character. That's why Caleb was stronger at 80 than he was in 40. Why? Because God had even more so matured and developed his character and his trust in God. He was even more convinced 40 years later that they could enter in because of what he saw the Lord do while everybody else grumbled and complained. Even when everyone around him was a bunch of Debbie Downers, he still remembered the promise of God. In fact, he was even more solidified in his stance then as he was back in the day and that's the people that we need to be being certain of his promises that they will come to pass that is what enabled joseph to go from brother to slave to manager to criminal to royalty to finally live out the dream that god had given him decades beforehand it was his character his trust in the lord it was that same level of trust and willingness to serve wherever you find yourself he made that that prison a palace he did because who you are should not change based on your circumstances. Who you are should not change based on where you are at. We are to live lives, if you check out our core values, of sacrificial integrity. I am who I am no matter where I'm at, no matter what's happening. And who I am is a child of God, dearly loved. Dearly loved. Who I am is an heir of promises. I am royalty. I have full access to the kingdom and all of its resources, right? It is never too late, and there is nothing too hard for our God. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's get out there and take those promises. Amen? Yeah. Woo. <laughs>